Learn about the strides female entrepreneurs of color are making. Be inspired by their story and enlightened by their leadership, insight, and advice. Welcome to season two of She Leads Podcast, leadership empowerment for women of color. I'm your host, Nicole Walker, a mother, businesswoman, and leader. Our guest for today is Tashan Parks Twyman. As a startup consultant, digital marketing strategist, and social sales trainer, it's Tashan's job to make brands marketable and monetizable. Tashan is a lifelong entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience and expertise. Her advice isn't theory, but real-world application to real-world challenges. She is the CEO and founder of Panoramic Ideals, an innovative, creative consultancy whose clientele are urban professionals, small business owners, politicals, and nonprofits. Panoramic Ideals show their clients how to leverage the right tools, tech, and techniques to stand out in the marketplace, attract their ideal clients, and grow their business both on and offline. If you're stuck in the startup phase or you're a seasoned professional wanting to increase productivity and income, you should connect with Tashan Parks Twyman and Panoramic Ideals. Without further ado, Leadership Empowerment with Tashan Parks Twyman. All right. So Tashan, I read your bio and I love your mission to make brands marketable and monetizable, which is something very useful to entrepreneurs. So kudos to you for that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hopefully that what we go through today will really pay off with helping some of these startups make some money. Yes, let's hope so. Okay, so Tashan, I want to thank you for taking the time to be a guest on She Leads Podcast, Leadership Empowerment for Women of Color. We appreciate you blessing us with your insight today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So now let's talk about leadership. So I myself feel that every person is a leader in one shape or form, whether they realize it or not. Would you agree, Tashan? Absolutely. Every, everyone is a leader. We, there's different levels of leadership and layers of leadership. It's not just one size fit all. Okay. Yes, I totally agree. It definitely isn't a one size fit all and there are different levels and layers. So thanks for that. Well, can you tell us when you realized you were a leader and what or who helped you to come to this realization? Well, you know what? I would always say I'm a reluctant leader. And what I realized is probably at early age, right around when I became a Girl Scout, when I was about eight years old, I started to notice little things that when situations always happened and they needed someone to either gather the team or rally the troops or lay out a plan, I would always wait till everyone was complaining or they don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this. Here's what we need to do. Here's what we do. You do this, you do this, let's do this, and let's go run together and let's go win. And I started doing that. And I don't know if it was recognition of leadership. I did recognize that's what I did. And so as a reluctant leader, uh, for those out there who, who are reluctant leaders, I don't want to, but I am, I am built to. So it wasn't one of those someone else had to tell me. It was one of those self-actualization. 
Okay. Thanks for that. And I like that reluctant leader. And just for, I guess, people who may not know exactly what that means, you want to give us a little background for people who may not have identified themselves as such, but they indeed are? Sure. So a reluctant leader is somebody that doesn't really want to be in charge, is not always comfortable telling people what to do, is not the person that always feels like that they got to be the boss of everybody. A reluctant leader is someone that when it comes down to the job needing to get done, that's when they step in and they end up shining because their skills or their gifts or their talents allow them to lead a group of people based on whether it's the mission or getting a result. It's not about the recognition or the praise. It's about just getting the job done. But we're not, it's really not our preference to be in charge. We like being, you know, support. We, we move usually behind the backgrounds, but when it's time to lead, it's time to move forward to get the job done. We make it happen, but it's not our preference. Okay. Thanks for that. I like that. Yeah, I can think of myself being a leader, but I can think of times when I do fall into the reluctant leader category. So thanks for that. Okay. So in my upcoming book, The Code of Leadership, The If-Then Process, I outline my experiences and lessons that have helped me to become a better leader with the intention of helping others do the same. Tashan, can you share what you would consider to be your code of leadership and why? I would say my, my code of leadership is, is, is funny because if you work with me or my clients, they all hear the same thing. Do what you say you're going to do, period. And one of my favorite books I quoted to this day is kind of like my, my business Bible. It's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in one of the chapters, it's so powerful because it talks about when you become responsible, owning everything. A leader knows that they are totally responsible for the end result and they've made peace with that ownership. So I have a a course coming out soon called Own Your Ish, right? Where you learn how to be mentally, emotionally, physically, and financially responsible for the end result when you really can make peace with what happens at the end. You're like, I got this. But in the book, Seven Habits, it says you totally become responsible when you can subordinate your feelings to a value. And every leader needs to discern or determine and decide what they value. My value is results. So if you are going to get a result or you're going to do something, you do what you say you're going to do. Because the first person you have to lead is yourself. You lead yourself, you do what you say you're going to do, and other people choose to follow you. You can't make people follow you, but you can control what it is that you do. And that's my number one basic code of conduct. And everything else, I think, kind of flows from there. Okay. Thanks for that. And I do agree. Do what you say you're going to do or let your word be your bond, um, so to say. I do agree. That is a great code of leadership. And I also love the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Right. And girl, let me tell you, that book will save your life. <laughs> exactly. Listen, I read that book nine years ago. And I will tell you, there was, a, there was a part about it where it was an area of my life that I needed to grow. And I kept trying, I was searching and searching and searching. And I was trying to figure out, well, I'm making all of this money. I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm, I'm miserable. There's, my business goes up and then it goes down. It goes up, it goes down, it falls apart. And I know it's not my skill and I'm searching. And I found the answer in that book. And it resonates a lot with what I'm working with my clients. I was still emotionally dependent on a particular parental relationship. I always had a particular parent I wanted to approve me or like me. And when I didn't get that, that carried on in my other relationship personally, where I was doing great in business. I was doing great philanthropy. I was doing great. But personal relationships, I was still 
trying to relive these areas and I wasn't quite as mature as I thought. And then from that book, I just started learning all kind of other business lessons. But at the end of the day, what it says is that do what you say you're going to do regardless of how you feel. Because if you do it in one area of your life, if you, and this is for entrepreneurs or any business leader or, or, or entrepreneur or person and at corporate, give your personal and professional relationships the same respect you give your job. If you're going to put in the work and you're uncomfortable, do it with your friends and your family. If you're going to go to work and do exceedingly great things, do it for your friends and your family. If you're going to go be above and beyond to hit those goals by a certain deadline, regardless of what's happening, do it for your friends and your family. But the most, do it for yourself. Because it's not like you can't do it. You've shown you can already do it, but you're doing it out of order. Yes. You're doing it for them and they instead of you and yours. I love so that. That's my personal you know, take on leadership. Yes, I totally agree with you. Thanks for that. And I do. I have encountered that. I have been guilty of that uh, where it's easy. I think it's easier to do for what do you call it? Them and those as opposed for you and yours. But it is you and yours should be the first order and then them and those as you called it. But I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? It's funny because it just depends. It's never been easier for me because it never made sense. That's probably why I never went to corporate. I'm like, I, I cannot see myself doing something for someone who isn't that close to me that I don't know. My I'm, my wiring, I always tell people, it's kind of weird. Like, I don't know you like that. Why would I do that for somebody I don't know? And I'm not willing to do it for someone I do know. That don't that doesn't go together for me. So, yeah. But I've found that that's happened, that people have been conditioned to do that. So with my clients, I kind of help uncondition them out of that. Well, that's good. Well, good for you that that was never your initial go-to. Yes. So you can help those who, you know, have those struggles. So that's awesome. Okay. All right. So I believe all leaders experience failure. I myself, I don't like to consider them failures. I like to consider them lessons, take more of an optimistic view. But Deshane, can you share your view on failure and what it means to you? Yeah, I don't have an optimistic view. Optimistic view is always things should go your way. I have a realistic view. If something doesn't go your way, it's because you didn't know what you were doing or you weren't qualified to do it. Either or. Okay. You didn't know what you were doing, but but the thing, here's the thing, Nicole, this is why people tend to beat themselves up too much. There's only two reasons why you don't know something. You've never been exposed to it, so of course you don't know. And you didn't do the practicing, the polishing, and the precision, the preparation you need to do to be ready to perform. Now, one isn't necessarily your fault. And one is your total responsibility. But either way, it isn't really a failure. It's what was supposed to happen. If you go into a situation to perform and you haven't prepared, your performance is going to be whack. Now, it may be because you didn't know. You did level six effort when the performance required level 10. Well, if you didn't know that, regardless if you didn't know it or not, the performance is going to come out whack. But it wasn't intentional. But you didn't know what you didn't know. But then on the other hand, if you didn't practice and you were aware it required level 10 and you were only willing to do level 8, the performance is still going to come out whack. It doesn't mean that that you failed. It just means you didn't meet the requirements, which gives you another opportunity to look back again to meet the requirements. So I don't, I don't look at failure. Everybody wants an optimistic view, which means what happens is you're so conditioned for things to be congenial or pleasant or the softer side of fears that you don't look at the other side of it. And then when those things happen, you're so unconditioned to them that you'll turn a mountain, you turn a molehill to a mountain when you can just sit back and reevaluate and say, Hey, where, where did we drop the ball or what happened without 
labeling it because people are like, oh, I like the turn series and the rest of that's pretty. But you didn't get the job done for a reason. And it's interesting. Let me tell you, because I was talking to someone on my team today. I said, listen, if I'm going to take an L, I'm going to take an L because I ain't going to do stuff I ain't qualified to do. But if I take an L, it's because the person or my competitor is better than me, really just has better wired by God to have better quality talent. And they accumulated a team that had better quality talent. And they, with that quality talent, they, they worked really hard. And then you know what? Hey, I can't even say anything. I'm not even mad because we know the, the requirement it takes. I refuse to take an L based on what I didn't do. If it's something that's out of my hand, then I, okay, you know what? But as we always talk about looking at failure, like you didn't fail. You just didn't meet the requirement in that certain period of time. Do you have another opportunity to do it again? Yeah, then do it again. Yes. So we go back to school and talk about failures in class. Let me tell you why you failed in class. You didn't put in the amount of effort in the designated time to get the result. And I know for all the people that may be listening, like, well, some people have learning disabilities. I'm dyslexic. And everything I do requires me to read. So please tell me your story. <laughs> everything I've ever done required me to read and write. And I'm dyslexic. I didn't know I was dyslexic until three years ago. No, four years ago. What I did know is what would take you the average person 30 minutes to comprehend, it takes me two hours. Well, I don't have anything but two hours. So I'm going to take two hours to go over the information over and over and over and over and take my time until I end up with the exact same results you do, which means understanding. And nobody else can do that but me. So I don't, I don't look at life as failures. What I look at is, I, I always tell people, look at the current situation and let's take a realistic view. And re, everyone's reality is relative. But look at the fact of the situation and look at your truth of, of what you experience and then really see what's the one thing that took us off course. And then ask yourself, do I have another opportunity? Or, hey, did we kind of blow this one and we need to move to the next thing? Because there is another opportunity. That's something that I go with my clients in our courses with Start to Startup about taking the inventory. You have more opportunities to win than you have gifts and talents and skills to win with them. So opportunities I'm never worried about. There are more opportunities for me to express my talents and my skills than the skills that I have. So if I, I did do my best on this one and it didn't work, hey, I need to learn how to discipline my disappointment. But I do know there's 20 more left that still need my same skill set or my, my gifts, my passion, my purposes, and just me to be there. So... I don't really recognize failure. Failure comes when you just didn't do the work you know you were supposed to do. Then you have to own it. Okay. Yes, I can understand. And I like that point of view. I like it. And I like a few things that you said. Discipline your disappointment. That was a great one. And then uh, reality is relative, I guess, based on what you know. But you do have to deal in your reality and the view of what you have in front of you. And also you said, like, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, yeah, you, you don't you don't out. know what you don't. You know what? I, I think for that one, if I can kind of revisit that real quickly, I think that probably is the biggest thing that will help most people get to what they want. Most people have infl- an overinflated ego, even the so-called nice people. And it's always ironic. I work with people and they would tell me, oh, you're arrogant. You're, no, 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 no. You are. And I can totally tell someone even subconsciously, even people don't, don't know, that, know that they are. And what I mean by that is, this is what happens. They don't know what they don't know. And society always beats people up about what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what you don't know until you do. Mm-hmm. And you won't, before, you won't before then. Now, if you don't know something because you've not been familiar, got familiar with the information that was introduced to you, that's totally, you need to own that. 
But if no one's ever talked to you about the theory of decreasing marginal returns, there's no way you should know that. And so people are like, you should know that by now. And I always say, based on what? And I think that God wired me in a way that that, is, that has always been me. I don't, I don't, if I don't know something, I don't know. I don't use that as a crutch either. Because I don't know is not an answer. It's a state of being. If someone asks me a question and I'm in a position that I should have known it based on I should have studied it, that I can't tell you I don't know. I mean, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. That's the real answer. But if you ask me something about cardiovascular engineering, I don't know. I've never been exposed to that. That's, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm in a state of being. I don't have that information. And how, how I say about inflated ego is that people tell you all kinds of stories and anything other than to be okay with I don't know. Because people want to be more <laughs> being right than get, than get a result. Yes. I'm like, you do know the person asking you already knows you don't know. <laughs> yes. So, so when people make peace with what they don't know, and it's not a big deal. They can go into be in discovery mode and be wide open to discover what they need to know when they need to know it. And so what happens is when someone does ask them a question, they're better prepared because their ego is not blocking them from receiving. And so most people get mentally lethargical. I don't know. That's not an answer. My nephews can't even tell me I don't know. I'm like, I don't know how an answer. It's a state of being. There's only two reasons why you don't know. Is if we've never talked about this conversation or content that we've had the discussion or you didn't practice. And usually if I'm asking someone a question, we've already talked about what we've talked about. Just make sure it's not the second. Like I said, I'm not going to take an L just because I didn't do the work. But most people beat people and go, oh, I should have done this. I should have done this. I should have known this already. You should have known this already based on what? Well, I didn't do the work. And yeah, you're going to you, yeah, feel bad about it. You guys, I'm, I'm not invalidating your emotion. I'm not emotionless. Listen, feel what you feel. Your feelings are real. Once you really think about it, if you didn't do the work and you're not prepared and you should have been, that's not going to change. So make peace with it. So then when you got your, your feelings, have your feelings, just don't stay in them, then get ready. Because you're not, because again, you're not going to know until you do. So get busy getting to know and then, you know, problem solved. Then you never have to say that again. Yeah. But people's egos stay in the way. I got to not, I'm, I know what I'm doing. Oh, if you know what you were doing, why are we having this conversation? Yes, I totally agree. Thanks for that. Okay. So hopefully I, I know this is about leadership and people like this is all kind of, you know, people are that's deep. It's not deep. It's very simple. It's very simple. We just rather make it hard. Yes, I totally agree with you. And I actually touch on a lot of those points that you discussed in my upcoming book. And it is people, you know, I've in my work career, I remember dealing with a lot of leaders where I would listen to them tell people the wrong information as opposed to saying, I'm not sure or saying, let me look that up for you or saying, I'll get back to you. You know, so it is, I can totally understand exactly where you're coming from with your point of view. And, and I like it. Right, exactly, because they weren't prepared as the leader instead of letting everyone see that they rather give you the wrong information, which makes the problem worse. Exactly. All right. So do you feel it's easier, harder, or requires the same effort to be a female leader in the entrepreneur ecosystem and why? Okay. Harder is and easier is relative and work is a fact. So harder is, is a matter of perspective. Do I think it's harder, harder compared to who? As man, white man, black man, white man, that's relative. So I would say in comparison and then what, what facet? And we can go back to that, but do I think it requires more work? Absolutely, absolutely. Because we have to deal with the challenge, the biggest challenge right now in our country that we're facing. And obviously with what's going on with the energy and the climate, 
politically. And so you can, you can see it in everything. We have to deal with misogyny. We have to deal with an underlying society that subliminally programs people to believe that women are less than. Uh, whether it's conscious or subconscious or unconsciously, we're all affected by it. To where when a woman, and I know you've had this happen, that a woman can tell you the same information and people will totally disregard what she says or what we said. And the man will say the same exact thing. And they're like, oh my God, he walked on water. <laughs> And you're like, you got to be kidding. Where, you know, in sales or in business, they said it'll take seven to 10 touch points or seven to 10 exposures for someone to buy into your brand. Well, as a woman, it's going to take you about 13 to 18. And I'll say black women, because you got, you know, a little racism sprinkled on top. You're going to do 15 to 20. And it has nothing to do with you. And that's not, you know, but if you can't accept that piece, that that element ex- exists and you're, you're, what you're doing, you're trying to be too optimistic. You're trying to ignore a variable in the equation that balances everything out. Everything isn't good. Everything isn't bad. Everything isn't happy. Everything isn't sad. There's a balance. And you've got to be able to honestly assess what it is. Since I have to engage with those two elements on a regular basis, I've already factored them into what I do. So what it does is it gives me a formula. And it's just funny. We learned the formula for results in the fourth grade in physical science. Time plus effort equals a result. Problem is they leave out the other five variables. Time plus effort will give you a result. It may not give you the result you want. Because we want to be so congenial and optimistic at times, we leave out other variables such as environment, influences, your experience, your expertise, exposure, who you're exposed to, who's exposed to you, and your emotions. Now, if I can look at all of those variables that add to and also some that make what I do a little more challenging because we're in the business of people. If I leave anything out, then I can't get a predictable result. And Nicole, what that means is I'm going to take a loss based on what I do, and I'm not about to do that because we want to be so optimistic. We want to be so congenial. And I listen to a lot of these gurus. I listen to a lot of these male and nothing racial about it, white male gurus. They're always telling you to ignore things that they don't experience. You can't tell me to ignore something that factored into my equation that doesn't factor into yours. That just doesn't mathematically make any sense. And we don't do it in business. We just don't, it's just very difficult to pull it in relationally because we want to believe or hope in the far-reaching fantasy versus accept the concrete realities. And when you can accept the, for my situation, this is what it is, so you can learn how to make it work to your best interest. So do I think it's harder? It requires more work than some compared to someone else. But you can control your work. You, that's the one thing you can control is what you do. The rest of it, you just factor it in. You see how much of it it makes a challenge. You build that into your equation and then you put in the work. Okay. Thanks for that. Yes, I totally agree with you. It is what it is. And I love the way you think like, uh, you know, it's relative. And what is it really about? Can you really compare? So but when it boils down to it, you know, as far as being a woman and being a black woman in particular, the way the world is set up, certain things aren't equal. And that's just a fact. So I do totally understand exactly what you're saying. And I like it. Right. And then the gurus want to tell you that it's not. And I'm like, you want to tell me about something you never experienced. It's like a man telling me about childbirth. If you don't have a seat, go, go sit down somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I ask something on the flip side real quick? I want to ask you on the flip side. And this is why I want a lot of us to also with that to stop crying about it. And I can say I somewhat sound like those guys, but let me 
give the, the other side of the stick. To make a certain level of income in an industry, the requirements are the same. And this should give somebody some inspiration. The requirements are the same. Your challenges to get there are not. Your requirements are the same. Your challenges in between are not. But your challenges are yours and you are built to handle them. So don't worry about what him and her or them and they are doing. Worry about what you need to do. The requirements the same. The challenges are not. So if I need to make six-figure income and it takes me 15 to 20 exposures and this guy over here gets to a six-figure income, he only needs seven to 10. I don't need to worry about his seven to 10. I only need to worry about my 15 to 20. Yes. And then I have what he has. And guess what? I control that. You ladies control that. Those are the you control that because you can control one thing, what you do. So now I got the same result he does. And it's very empowering. And it's interesting when you kind of hear it. You hear guys sometimes complain. You're like, really? What are you complaining about? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yes. Thanks for that. All right. So productivity is a hot topic right now, as it should be. Many people want to know how to do more with less and be efficient. As a successful leader, this is a must. Tashang, do you have any productivity tips to share with our listeners? Yeah, I do. Let's let's start at the beginning. This is so, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's so interesting how you're bringing up things. I have a conversation today that I think I have every day. Before you start thinking about being effective and efficient, first learn how to get a result. Just learn how, learn how to get the result. Then once you get a result, learn how to be consistent with the result. Does that make sense? No, it does. Mm-hmm. Then you can be effective. You can't be effective if you can't get a result. <laughs> And then after you get the result, after you've learned to be effective, then you can now discover shortcuts or things to be efficient. But it only goes in that order. I'm going to learn how to get more with less. That, if you're doing that at the beginning and that's out of order, out of sequence, now you're just trying to be lazy. You don't want to put in the work. You can only be efficient after you've been effective. You're going to be effective after you learn how to get a result. But outside of that, being efficient from the giddy up, you're just being lazy. And conditioning someone to want more for less, if you really think about that, if, if you put that as the primary conditioning, you're always going to have a bunch of lazy people. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I do believe that we do live in a microwave society where people do want things a lot easier or want to figure out an easier way to get to the goal. Yeah, but I like what you said. Worry about the result and be consistent. And then once you figure that out, you can learn how to you know, uh, be more effective in reaching those results and having that consistency. So thanks for that. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I know. I think people are going to ask me for some new age tip or technology. I can't do that because the fact is technology is just an expression of something you already know how to do. But if you don't know what you're doing, it's just confusing. It costs you a lot of money to be confused. Okay. All right. So Tashin, can you share an experience that blessed your leadership and tell us what the outcome or the takeaway was? An experience that blessed my leadership. You know, this doesn't sound all that pretty, but five years ago, I got in a head-on collision in a car accident. And it left me mentally and emotionally and physically traumatized to where basically I could not perform my duties in my business. Everything fell apart. I lost everything. And the mentor that I was working with in this company, God rest his soul. He, I was losing everything. This guy was making a significant amount of money. Like you're talking about a million dollars take home more than a year. And I'm a part of his organization. And part of what I do was 
based on what he did. He knew it was good for the money. And I asked him to bail me out. I asked him to help me. I couldn't walk. Sometimes I couldn't talk, which means I couldn't perform my duties. I'm going to lose everything. And I understand he was my mentor. He was there for me. He supported me. And he wouldn't bail me out. And he's sitting there in these $3,000 shoes and this, you know, $50,000 watch. And and I'm asking for help. He tells me, no, stop persisting, you know, get real black girl magic and cuss him out for about an hour. So I got <laughs> fired. And he just sat there. And he just sat there. And then he pulled a Kevin Hart on me. He was like, are you done? Oh, why did he do that? I was still mad. And I'm just venting and venting and venting and venting and venting. And then the second time, third, he's like, are you done? And I'm like, yeah. Then he asked me this question. He says, how much money do I make? Oh, why did, oh, the third wave came out. Oh, it just, you, and that's why people don't do this. You don't trust people. I did all this stuff for you. You don't want to help. I mean, you know, you know how we, you know how we do sometimes. And I finally got tired. I was, got it all out of me. I mean, I was all off my chest and he asked me, was I done? And I said, yes. And he said, are you sure? Yeah. He will answer my question. How much money do I make? And I told how much money he made, which was in the high six figures every 30 days, like every 30 days, not just a, a yearly take home, his income, going to check. And I'm like mad that I'm telling him this because you know, I'm about to lose everything. And this is what he said to me. I make all of that money every month, right? Yeah. He said, so if I make all of this money, do I make that kind of money, whether I get out of the bed or not, or whether I perform my duties? And I'm like, yeah, like reluctantly. He said, so why am I sitting here listening to you cuss me out? Maybe I want to tell you something and you need to be quiet. You keep talking, I don't care about you. I don't actually have to be here. Maybe I want to tell you something. Nicole, I, that hit me in my chest so hard that I was like, oh, let me be quiet. Because that was real. He didn't have to be here. Now, sitting there with that, you know, rolling on his arm, he crossed his legs. And he looked at me and he said to Shan, I bring multiple six figures home every month. If I got hurt like you, who bailed me out? And I just got totally quiet. My eyes got wide. And I really went to the thoughts of my mind. And I realized something, Nicole. Nobody. Nobody's going to bail him out. His mentor and upline his sponsor and his mentor is making a million dollars a month. He said, and if she gets hurt, who's bailing him out? And I'm like, nobody. He said, so why would I be bailing you out? He said, if you don't learn how to save yourself, then you're always going to have this problem. And when you have this level of responsibility and reward and income, you ain't going to know what, you're not going to know what to do. You're not going to know what to do. And you always want somebody to save you. And you can't really run a business or be real grown if you're always waiting for someone to save you when you get in trouble. And then what he told me to do, he's, I'm going to tell you something to do and it will change your life. And from now on, anyone you talk to, tell them to do this. He told me to read the book of Matthew in the Bible. He said, this book, 58 verses long, will tell you everything you need to know about people. And it'll show you all the, the er errors in your ways when engaging with people and what's been going on. He said, read it for two years, it'll change your life. Well, I'm just like, you know me, I'm going to read it quicker. I'm going to read more effort. Nicole, the first week, I realized, I mean, I had so many weights and so many breakthroughs off my shoulders. I realized how I stopped acting in business and went from being persuasive or trying to convince people to just having a conversation because everybody's not going to receive what you're going to say and it has nothing to do with you. I learned that people that I talked on a level of business owners since I was 24 years old because I'd always been self-employed. Um, they taught me that people didn't have ears to hear what I said or eyes to see because they just didn't relate. It had nothing to do with me. I talked about how Jesus did what he did and his walk for those, you know, I'm not trying to convert anybody. You know, Jesus is, is in all major religions. If you read all major religions, 
they are two all saying the same thing. And it was his journey. And the one thing that I got out of it that really changed my business is that I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to, I know it's going to be disruptive. I just want to get everybody ready for it. Cause I know I've got some Christian folks on here, but Jesus didn't save anybody. And that really hurt my heart at first when I read it and I started realizing the four things that he did in this walk. And when I got it, I saw how my mentors moved and how they were so loving and care. This is what he did. He said, you re- replicate this way of reasoning of what would Jesus do? Not what would Jesus think or what would he feel? What would he do? Nicole, he first invited people to hear some information. They showed up or they did. For those that showed up, he gave them some inspiration, you know, walked on water, raised people from the dead, healed the blind man, all these social proof, which is what most people need to make you to believe you. He gave you some inspiration. They were inspired or they weren't. The next thing he did is he gave you some insight. He gave you some insight of how awesome you were, how, how beautiful you were, the love of God, and that you were talented. For those that got that, that there were two types of people that needed to hear what he had to say. Those who needed to be healed before they go to the last, last level and those that just needed to be heard. Those who needed to be healed. For those who need to be healed, he healed them and then gave them instructions to go be great. And for those that were healed, they were willing to hear him and he still told them to go be great. And he kept walking. And the message of love was to love God with all your heart and might and love your neighbor like you love yourself. You are your own hero. He didn't save anybody. He showed that you could save yourself. If you needed to be healed, you had a hole in your heart, heal people. So that changed my life when I started realizing that my words and what I say to people heal or help. Some people need to be helped. Some people need to be healed. Some people need to be hurt. Then my responsibility is to give them instructions to go be great because I don't, I'm not responsible. And I took on that philosophy to completely revolutionize my business. When he's like, what would Jesus do? I'm like, I could tell you what he would do. But I'm, I know that bothered me at first. I'm like, oh my God, my, you know, go to church and hear my Lord and Savior. And I read the whole book of Matthew. I'm like, Jesus actually stopped, told people to stop saying that. There's only one Lord, that Lord, that God. I don't qualify. Or he said, I'm not here to save you. I'm, I'm your brother. I'm here to show you the way. Oh, well, he just kind of said he wasn't that. And this is, and if I read it, but I couldn't, he didn't tell you what he was going to do. He showed you and exemplified it. And I've been exemplifying that process ever since. And you know what I realized through going through this process? And even when it was tough and I wanted to save and bail out people and all this because I loved them. And I used that as a discipline. As I did it, I became more aware of my reality was everything we created, good or bad, we created. And we got to own it. And even if I'm not responsible there's two perspectives in that. Even though you're still not responsible, it's either one, you take one of belligerence and you're, you're negative and you're nasty to people and you blame them for their problems or the other one saying, you know, I still know I'm not responsible, but I have empathy because I know the pain you're going through. I used to be in that valley. I came out. Let me give you some information. Let me give you some inspiration and let me give you some instructions so you can now save yourself. Let me... Get, be your heal. Let me heal you in your mind and tell you how awesome you are. See, I started following that. What would Jesus do? But he still didn't save nobody. And after he, he gave them the instructions to go be great, he kept walking. And he, he always said at the end, you come in and all. There was no convincing. And people who came, came, and people who didn't, didn't. And that book of Matthew changed my life. And so I would say that's the one leadership I did. Invite people to hear what you have to say. Give them some inspiration. Show them the good of things. Tell them how awesome they are because they are and give them some instructions to go be great. 
But what was revolutionary at that next level is those were the requirements that I had to do. I had to do what I was supposed to do to go be great. I had to perform and do what I needed to do to go be great. I had to follow those same instructions. And that's what I focus on every day. That's awesome. That's what I do. I mean, we're doing it now. You invited me. You sent out an invitation. I showed up. You gave some instructions. I followed them. You were not responsible for what I did. You did what you were supposed to do. And I chose to do it because I wanted to do it. Yes. That, that will give you so much. That will take so much relief off of your shoulders when it comes to business, when it comes to building teams, when it comes to hiring, sometimes firing, it, when giving people opportunity. It, it will, man, relief. Okay. Thanks for that. That was that was really amazing. And um, yes, and I never actually heard it broken down on that level, but I can hear and understand everything you're saying. So thanks for that. Okay. So you made it to the finish line. How do you feel? Oh, I feel I'm peaceful. Great. Yeah, content. And in this season, ready to get go to that next level, which means I got to start from the beginning, just with more experience and expertise. So it's increase my belief and faith a lot. And now I'm, that's what I'm teaching my clients. And I actually tell them the same thing I'm telling you. That's why they're always kind of like, it can't be that simple. I'm like, really? Then why am I doing it? Yeah. No, it is. <laughs> we do. We make it, 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 we make it so much harder than it has to be right. in life. And I, I totally agree mm-hmm. with that. Okay. So I want to thank you again for being my guest on She Leads Podcast, Leadership Empowerment for Women of Color. But before we part, do you want to give our listeners your contact information or mention any events, products, services, and ventures that they would benefit from knowing about? Absolutely. So listen, you guys, my name is Tashan Parks Twyman. You can find me anywhere on social media or Google me. I am the only one on the planet. Uh, That's Tashan, that's T-A-S-H-A-N. Twyman, T-W-Y-M-A-N. I'm the only one. I have blonde hair, so you definitely know it's me. Some of the things we have coming up is I am the executive director um, and also planning for two tech events here in Atlanta, Georgia, focused on technologies of color. We are having Tech Groove. Tech Groove is I'm the executive director for Tech Groove. It is for uh, technologies of color in the fintech space, which what we're doing is we're connecting corporate to the culture uh, with a lot of times corporate companies don't understand our culture and also we don't always respect corporate. So we're blending the two with, you know, a little flavor, right? We got a little flavor going. It's going to be music. It's going to be technology. It's going to be further the conversation and building bridges. But one of the things that I want everybody to do is go grab my book. I have two books right now. The main one uh, that we, we had, we started off beginning of this year, is called Stop Saying You Have No Damn Money. Uh, right? I know it's a long title, but it's all one word. Stop Saying You Have No Damn Money. It is to help people understand cash flow curation and how you can curate cash flow to fund your business. Most people are saying, I don't have no money, but they really had plugged into their resources and relationships. And our second book we launched is Stuck to Startup, right? Stuck to Startup, How to Launch Your Business in 30 Days or Less is everything I know about launching a business. But most of all, the first thing is first, learn how to make some money, then you launch your business. So the two books are a combination. You can follow me. You can find me, tptwyman.com, or you can connect with my company, which is Panoramic Ideals, all one word, Panoramic Ideals with an S.com. You can find us if you need services, consulting, coaching. I'm always available. My company reach out to me, my assistant. I'm available, but make sure you guys come out and connect with me. I'm always around in the tech space in Atlanta, Georgia. And if you need anything, 
I am here and I will help you any way I can. Okay. Well, again, thank you for being a guest on Sheely's podcast. We definitely appreciate your insight today. All right. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure, Nicole. Thank you so much for your platform. And I just appreciate being here. You're welcome. I really enjoyed this interview with Tashan. I love Tashan's philosophical nature. Tashan did an excellent job of getting down to the fundamental reality of the concepts discussed. As Tashan stated, we must look at the facts in all situations and circumstances and stop making things harder than they have to be. Life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. Confucius. I admire Tashan's view on the unlimited resources available to us and wholeheartedly agree with her stance. Tashan stated, there are more opportunities in this world than skills we have as people. Thus, it is up to us to find the opportunities that match the skills we possess. This outlook gives me hope and my abilities to excel, as according to Tashan, they are infinite. I can relate to Tashan being a reluctant leader, as I myself was the same. I did not identify myself as a leader, nor did I want to take on the responsibility of being the leader. Yet, as Tashan, I could not escape my reality. I did not want to lead, but I was built to lead, as Tashan stated. Reluctant leaders often fall into their leadership role as opposed to jumping into it as a means to an end in solving a problem. Successful leaders solve problems, whether reluctantly or willingly. Nicole Walker's takeaway for this week. Tashan mentioned how the requirements to make money are the same for all individuals. Yet, the challenges to get there may be different depending on the person or the circumstance. As humans, it is easy to get caught up in the why is this so mentality, as opposed to accepting the reality in which we live. My takeaway for this week is to discipline my disappointment. Being upset with reality is a self-defeating situation and does not help us to get to the next level unless we intend on putting forth the effort to change the circumstance. If we are not willing to work to change the circumstance, then there's no point in being negatively affected by it. I will make it my business to understand my reality and to do what is necessary to achieve my goals. I will not let life's challenges deter or disappoint me as this is not conducive to my overall well-being and goal attainment. And now we have Nicole Walker's Leadership Challenge of the Week. We want to hear from you. We would love to know your thoughts about leadership empowerment with Tashan Parks Twyman. What did you learn? What did you agree with? What did you like? Or you can tell us what you did not like, what you do not agree with, or what you think should be changed. Go to Facebook 
at She Leads Podcast and let us know. Respondents will be entered into a random drawing for a Genius is Common t-shirt. Thanks, and until next time, be empowered and empower on.